Good morning, friends. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for Sunday morning. We thank you for being gathered together here in this place to receive the blessings of life and salvation that you have in store for us through your word and the sacrament of Holy Communion and to be able to respond to those blessings with our prayers, praises, and offerings. Please send your Holy Spirit into our hearts, minds, and lives at this moment that we may receive the grace and the truth of your word through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. The parable that Jesus is sharing with those who have gathered around him is profound. It's one that many of us have known since uh, Sunday school days when we've experienced the stories of Jesus in the Gospels. But it's one that still has profound lessons for us here today. And my hope and prayer is that I will be able to share those with you this morning throughout our time in the message. I want to take note here before we launch into the story that Jesus shares about who is responding, who's listening, and who's receiving this message from the Lord. Recall the words that were read earlier by Tim in the Gospel of Luke. There are those who are tax collectors and sinners who've gathered around Jesus to listen to him, to learn from him, and perhaps be blessed by him in some way. There are also opponents of Jesus who have gathered probably not as close to Jesus, but perhaps from a distance, to hear what he's had to say. Not so they could necessarily receive the word and be transformed by it, but rather so that they could critique that word and challenge it and find some way to accuse him and perhaps get rid of him. Those would be the Pharisees and the scribes, part of the Jewish religious establishment that did not embrace Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah but had great difficulty in receiving him and also his message. So that is the scene where Jesus is going to display this incredible illustration of what life is like in the kingdom of God and the challenges that we experience as God's people as we receive the extravagant grace of God for our lives. There are three characters in the story, as we recall. First, the prodigal son. The prodigal son, as many of us have received this story over the course of our lives, we were instructed to place ourselves in the position of this prodigal son, and perhaps rightly so. Now, recall, the prodigal son approaches his father with a very bold and audacious request, Father, give me what's mine, give me what's promised to me, give me what is my right by being one of your children. Give me my portion of the inheritance. For whatever reason, the father says, okay. So he divides his inheritance between his two sons, an older brother and a younger brother. And a few days later, the prodigal packs up and takes off, goes to a distant country, and squanders his father's inheritance in reckless and wild living. We can only imagine what he's doing. Who's around him? Who's invited to the party? And how he's spending his money. This son finds himself fresh out of funds after a time. No more money, no more friends. No more parties, no more security, no more safety, no more way to make a living. And so he hires himself out 
to a, a local farmer, a, a rancher perhaps, a landowner, someone who could give them the job. And this landowner sends him out to the field to feed pigs. Now, what do we know about Jewish folks and swine? Are they best of friends? No, they are not. For, For reasons that are ritualistic and ceremonial, Jewish people were not supposed to be in close contact or consume certain animals. And pigs are one of those animals. So here's most likely this Jewish boy, far from home, out of money, and hard up for work, and so he's out in the fields with these pigs. That's awful enough. But because he has no means by which to uh, take care of himself, he finds himself hungry. So desperate is he that he's, he's focusing on this, this leftover scrap mixed with who knows what. And the pig slop that's there. And he's desiring to, to, to scoop some of that up and, and to, to consume some of that. So it's one thing to feed pigs and kind of throw food at them. It's another one to get in there with the pigs and literally soak up some of the slop. And you can envision this, this younger brother, far from home, no job, no more friends, at, at, the, at the end of his rope, down on hands and knees, almost ready to dig in and to feed himself just so that he won't be hungry anymore and perhaps get some nutrients from that. And we could ask the question, what is a person like him doing in a place like this? And this younger son kind of asks himself that same question and he comes to his senses and says, hey, even in my father's household, there are servants who live very well, who are taken care of, who have meaningful work to do. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, Father, don't welcome me as one of your sons. Instead, welcome me as a hired hand. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Keep in mind the place, the position, and the posture of this prodigal son, this younger brother. Then there is the waiting father. And the waiting father is also in a unique position. He's got some status and standing of the community, so we assume. He's got particular wealth to be able to own land and also to be able to provide for his children and hire servants. And people like that, back in that time, they didn't rush about. They moved slowly. They didn't do a lot of standing. They did a lot of sitting. And other people would come to him for advice. Other people would come to him for requests. Other people would come to him and receive decisions and direction. And they would go out from him. So imagine the flipping of the switch that occurs for this waiting father. When he sees his wayward son in the distance. He's no longer sitting and standing. Waiting for folks to come to him. He's standing, and he finds himself running. And we're not sure the age or stage of this waiting father, but he's going. Adrenaline coursing through his veins, wind sweeping through his hair, tears perhaps streaming down his eyes and being drawn back. He's running like he's never run before, and he's got a singular focus, reuniting with his son. And as he he reaches his son, he embraces his son, and he kisses his son. And as his son is launching into his prepared remarks for his father, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just take me back as a hired servant, and that would be good enough for me. The waiting father 
who has raced to his son, doesn't even hear him. Instead, he calls for a servant and has this servant bring a robe to cover his son, to comfort him and protect him. Bring the ring that signifies that you are a part of this family and you belong to me. Bring sandals for his feet because my goodness, he's barefoot. And not only that, but kill the fattened calf because we're going to celebrate. Why? Because this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And I'm overjoyed. Imagine the posture of that waiting father racing toward his son, doing perhaps what he hasn't done in a long time and embracing his long lost boy and then celebrating. Contrast that with the older brother. The older brother is distant from the family, distant from the father, didn't really know that their younger son had returned. And this older brother kind of learns about all that's going on from a servant. And instead of going to his father or joining in with the celebration, his father actually has to come to him. So you see the relational and the most emotional distance that's there between the older brother and the father and certainly between the older brother and the younger brother, the prodigal son. And this older brother isn't happy, isn't in the mood to celebrate. Instead, he's in the mood to question to challenge, to judge. This older brother's position, you could imagine that he's not running, he's not rejoicing, no adrenaline coursing through his veins. Instead, it's very dry on the inside. His back is to the people who should matter most to him. His arms are crossed and he's looking back with a stern stare of disapproval. His father entreats him come and celebrate your younger brother has returned and instead of saying okay dad I will wow that's incredible it's a miracle he's back I'm glad he's safe and sound no he says father look at me look at what I've done look at what I've sacrificed for the family why didn't you ever give me a fattened calf so I could sacrifice it and celebrate with my friends the father doesn't take the bait doesn't go into the pity party mode, doesn't reward the victim mentality of the older brother, doesn't reward him for his pharisaical attitude and outlook on life and family relationships. Instead, the father insists, we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he is found. And we're going to be a family together again. We had to celebrate. We had no other choice. Friends, remember who's listening to this story of Jesus, this parable. Remember, it's not only the followers of Jesus, those tax collectors and sinners who have come to learn and listen from the Lord. It's also the Pharisees and the scribes, the opponents of Jesus. Shots fired. What is Jesus communicating to these Pharisees and teachers of the law and scribes who are supposed to be shepherds to God's people? He's saying, you're not the younger brother necessarily. You're certainly not the waiting father. You are the older brother. Hard news to share. But, in, but incredible fuel for the fire for the Pharisees who want Jesus gone. 
Thanks be to God that we have a God who justifies us. A God who looks at us, loves us despite our sins, selfishness, and shortcomings. And a God who will be able to come down to the earth. Become like one of us yet without sin. And to be our sacrifice and substitute that was needed and necessary to satisfy the demands of holiness and perfection of a just God. To make a way into the future for our salvation. And so that we could have a home in heaven with him. This God who justifies is also the God who receives. He receives us into his family of faith forever because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, because of his life, death, and resurrection. The things that we're considering and contemplating as we move through this season of Lent and look forward to Holy Week, Good Friday, Easter Sunday. This God who justifies is the God who receives us. And thanks be to God because sometimes in our lives we've been like that prodigal son. We've been like that younger brother drifting away in the faith, not as regular with worship, not really concerned with serving, maybe not living an exemplary life of Christian witness before the Lord and for the sake of other people. We need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that's graciously given to us through the willingness of the Father who would sacrifice his son for us. Thanks be to God. He's the God who justifies and also receives because there are times in our lives when we've needed that. But if I'm honest with you this morning, there are times in my life when I've been like the younger brother, not doing exactly what I ought to be doing, not uh, fully receiving the grace and truth of Jesus, not responding to the commands and promises of God as I should. But if I'm honest with you this morning, I probably struggle more with being the older brother, being that self-righteous kind of person, that modern-day Pharisee that kind of looks over my shoulder back at people and wonders why they can't get their act together, who judges them for what they believe and how they behave and kind of delights in my own self-righteousness that, hey, at least I know the Lord and I've been forgiven and free with him and this is how I'm using my freedom. I'm turning my back on the people who need Jesus the most and I'm looking over my shoulder back at them and I'm just shaking my head. Maybe some of you struggle with that too. Judging others who are different than. Wondering what in the world is wrong with them. Asking why can't they get their act together. Looking at them and seeing them as less than. Instead of a precious child of God for whom Christ has died and risen. Father, forgive us for our sins of self-righteousness and judgment upon others. God's grace and mercy are for us older brother types too. And I'm thankful for that because the God who justifies and receives is also the God who sanctifies, who helps us not only receive saving faith in Christ, but place our faith into action for the sake of others. And this God who sanctifies us through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, brought to us first in our baptism, encouraged and strengthened through a life of worship, and also continued studying his word and reception of the Lord's Supper. This God who sanctifies us also desires to send us. He is a God who sends us out into the world not to sit and wait for others to come to you, but to stand 
and to race after those who are in need. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, socially, intellectually. To go after the least of these and love them where they're at. Listen to them and their struggle and their story. Learn from them what it's like to be in their shoes. And then, by the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit, lead them into a relationship of truth and trust in Jesus. Friends, God is calling us not only to receive him as Savior, the one who justifies and receives us, but also as sanctifier, the one who sends us. God is calling us to be like this waiting father. Waiting in the sense of the next opportunity to share the grace and mercy of Jesus with others. Waiting for that next time when we get to communicate the love and forgiveness of Christ with someone else or with someone in need. And find ourselves filled with adrenaline, tears of joy streaming down our cheeks, wind whipping through our hair because we are going to those who are lost and we're saying you're not lost, you are found. Going to those who are spiritually dead and hopefully awakening them because of the Holy Spirit's power working in us and through us to communicate with them the love of God in Jesus Christ. What an exhilarating opportunity. What an incredible moment in time. And what uh, an amazing challenge that God has given to each of us as brothers and sisters in Christ. So this day, this week, this season, my hope and prayer for you is that you receive the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ. And that you find ways, and God presents you with ways, to share the love and forgiveness of Christ with others. That's what this story that's what this sermon, and that's what our lives are all about. God grant it to us for Christ's sake. And all God's people said, amen.